if what you said is true, Mark Withers and the Nerd Cage could be dangerous. Hello and welcome. That's right, you're trapped in Nerd Cage Live. This ain't just a reaction show, but a debate show and a live discussion on everything that makes people like you and I tick. So thank you for joining us tonight. Please hit that like button and subscribe. I'm your co-host, Jay St. G, coming to you live from Syracuse, New York. And always with me, the warrior from Wakanda, the fiend from Louisville, my man, Mark Withers, introduce this Justice League we have of our own tonight. Absolutely. What's up, guys? Super excited to be here as usual. And yes, today we are going to be talking about the Zack Snyder Justice League that was released this weekend on HBO Max. I hope everybody got a chance to watch it and enjoy it as we did. And we're lucky tonight to unite our own league here, unite our own four, starting off with Davis Mendole, also known as the Mighty Titan Goji. How are you, sir? I'm doing absolutely fantastic, and I'm really looking forward to sharing my thoughts uh, on this movie. Awesome, awesome. And also with us here is Pete Mason from NewYorkStateMusic.com. Pete, how are you today? Glad to be here, glad to have finally watched the full cut, and uh, excited to talk about it. There's a lot to unpack. Absolutely, absolutely. We're talking about a four-hour movie here. There is a whole lot to discuss, so let's just go ahead and dig right in, starting with how we all felt about this movie. Now, Jay, I know you've been waiting a long time to kind of dig into this one, kind of talk about it. What are your thoughts about this movie? First and foremost, after years of Josh Whedon this, Ray Fisher that, does the movie exist, does it not, when is it coming out? We see a banner fly above Times Square, release the Snyder Cut. Everybody is bitching at the conventions. Where's the Snyder Cut? The pressure on WB and everything else. A year ago, we get the announcement. We get DC Fandom. And then here we are on HBO Max at Thursday, 3 in the morning. I actually did watch it straight through without blinking, just like in uh, Clockwork Orange. And I endured <laughs> the whole thing. And I loved every moment of it. Yes, this is by far Zack Snyder's best work. And it lived up to the hype. Absolutely. Davis, what are your thoughts on it? I'll go ahead and say that the theatrical version of Justice League is probably like the worst superhero movie I've ever seen in, yeah. in the sense that it was very disjointed and it's like the more you watch it, the more you notice everything that's wrong with it. It just gets worse and worse with every viewing somehow. <laughs> and it's like watching Zack Snyder's Justice League at last. It was like a huge breath of fresh air. and. It's astonishing that this was able to happen in the first place. The fact that this was able to happen at last is totally unprecedented. And it just kind of came out of nowhere because like how many directors can say their original vision had so much fan demand to finally be fully right. realized. Right. And of course, without comparing it to uh, what is known as Justice League, I felt like it was a very <laughs> solid film on its own and it was worth the four hours. Right on. Pete, what do you have to say about it? I, I really did feel that the first one just was kept missing. Uh, there, was, there was like important parts that were missing, including the whole cyborg backstory, the, any depth there. There was just a lot. And I'm with you, Davis. Like every time you watch it, you're like, this just feels wrong. Like it just felt disjointed. Like part of it was trimmed just to meet some art, whatever the runtime was on the original. And now that there's a four hour cut, normally when you hear director's cut, you're like, okay, this is for the you know the super fans, but this is for everybody who saw Justice League and said, wait, there, there's more. There, there has to be more. And it was so thorough and it was just well laid out. 
uh, first viewing, I got through the first two parts and the second viewing, I got through five parts and then picked it up. And I liked how it was broken down into sections. So it wasn't mm -hmm. this, you know, monumental beast that you had to tackle over the course of it and wonder where you were stopping. You could pause after a part and say, okay, what's going on yeah. here? And there was small stuff, but there was also some really critical things that what was Joss thinking? And uh, thank you, Snyder, for bringing this together. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with everything that you said. Now, as far as uh, my thoughts on the movie, uh, I'm of two minds. On the one hand, this is miles, rather light years ahead of anything that Joss Whedon gave us. With, or, or you uh, could say it. leagues above the, yeah. the, the original <laughs> Well said. Well <laughs> said, sir. Um, but yeah, this is this is a much better movie than we got in 2017. For once, it actually felt like the Justice League. If you're a fan of the comics or even a fan of the animated series that was on Cartoon Network, this gave you that same feel of an origin story of putting together a team like that. And especially with having it broken down into six parts, it really gives you the vibe of a graphic novel where one part will focus on one or two members of that league and maybe it's their origin or maybe it's their backstory outside of what's going on in the main plot. I really enjoyed that aspect of it. On the other hand, just like what I said in my written review, for better or for worse, this is a Zack Snyder film. So if you're a fan of Zack Snyder overall, naturally you're going to love everything that he did here. It's remarkable what he achieved. If you are not a fan of Zack Snyder, all the things that you don't like about Zack Snyder films are still present here. There are issues with pacing. There are a few moments that seem a little superfluous, a little self-indulgent. Some of the scoring didn't quite match what was happening in the film. There were little things like that that weren't necessarily deal breakers, but they were things that made the film a little problematic for me. And so for those things, I couldn't give it a, a perfect score, but overall I did enjoy it quite a bit. That's fair. I just want to point something out. Peter touched on it a little bit. Mark, I want you to double down on it. So Pete mentioned just a second ago, like, what was going on? Why was this movie rushed and this, this, and that? Mark, can you just elaborate? Wasn't there a deadline that Warner Brothers was supposed to hit, which is why we got the jumbled mess that we did? Yes. So when this film was in production originally, the merger between Warner Brothers and AT&T was ongoing. And the CEO of Warner Brothers, Ken Sujihara, wanted to add value to this merger. And he wanted to be able to say, hey, we have this hit movie, Justice League, that will actually provide more value to the sale of Warner Brothers. And so he did everything that he could to sort of push this movie forward against all of its challenges, including Zack Snyder losing his daughter. Under normal circumstances with a director, particularly if they have a tragedy of that magnitude, the production shuts down and you wait for that director to come back. But in this case, they were already kind of unhappy with the story that he was coming up with. They were sort of political, like behind the scenes issues between Snyder and a few of the executives at Warner Brothers. And so they were kind of using that as an opportunity to kind of get rid of him and bring somebody else in, in order to sort of move the project forward, which we all know at this point, huge mistake. It's honestly a pretty scummy thing to do, honestly. 
Yeah, and Davis, you mentioned, like, the more you watch it, the worse it gets. I want to point out, too, not that the movie itself is just bad upon a rewatch, but what you guys all just kind of, like, touched on. All the behind-the-scenes stuff is so goddamn messed up with the accusations and stuff like that of Josh Whedon and his character and this, this, and that. It makes me hate the movie even more. I'm oh, sorry. yeah. So, like, that version of that movie is dead. And now I can watch this movie with a smile on my face because this is what it was supposed to be. And we all know that Zack Snyder is not anything like that monster Joss Whedon. That he, you know, put this movie together and how the cast feels about him, how everybody else feels about Zack Snyder. That makes this movie much more valuable because Zack Snyder is a genuine person. Oh, totally. I've never seen a cast in support of looking for more footage or another cut of a film that it's uh, it's kind of unheard of where, you know, actors will speak up against a director or the production because that's, you know, that can get you blackballed or you know, people are going to remember you for that. This is a different thing where all of a sudden, you know, Jason Momoa and then uh, Gal Gadot and they all were like just slowly saying, yeah, there's more and you should probably see it all. And now that we've seen it, I mean, this is a first where actors were a good chunk of the reason, fans as well. Right. To, to you know, you can't just do this just with fans encouraging this. But when the actors spoke up, you knew that there was a little bit of a shift towards okay, this might happen, and that was maybe two years ago, and now we have it. Right, and you know, also the technology itself, right? Like the nature of the way that we view movies now has sort of shifted, whether that's temporarily or permanently. But as Deborah Snyder pointed out, we wouldn't be able to enjoy the Snyder Cut without the advent of HBO Max. Just having that all of a sudden as an avenue, as a way to kind of put this out, because both Deborah and Zack Snyder knew that there was no chance of a theatrical release of the version that they wanted but you could put something like that out on a streaming service, whether that's as a series or as a long form film, the way that we got. And so that creation of that streaming service, the importance of it can't really be understated in the success of this thing. Excellent. All right, so I'm like, right, I'm ready to get right into the movie now. So let's just start off with the beginning. Again, I just want to point out the attention to detail and storytelling stands out so much throughout the film even right at the beginning. So right after we get that flashback of Bell's been wrong, Superman's screaming, all the mother boxes start waking up. When we get to Aquaman's introduction where Bruce Wayne's trying to recruit him per se, I remember one of the things that everybody bitched about in the Whedon cut was Bruce Wayne's a millionaire. Why didn't he just fly a helicopter into that town and talk to Aquaman? They explained that. Right. They said, the, the people of the village just said, how did this man climb over the mountain when all the storms killed the planes, killed the helicopters? How did this man make it to our village? Right. Like, they explained that. I'm like, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. There we go. I agree. And particularly that scene I love because that was part of the Comic-Con preview that we got, right? Mm -hmm. In 20, what was it? 2016, 2015 or 2016, where we got uh, that first Comic-Con I believe. Yeah. yeah. Like, there was important dialogue in there that appeared in the trailer that didn't appear in the 2017 cut of the film. And at the time that I watched that theatrical cut, that was one of the things that really bothered me. Like th there was a really cool scene here that we totally missed out on. And it was nice for us to kind of get that, I think, 
You know what I mean? And, and like you said, that along with a few other things spread throughout the film really helped to fill in some of these important gaps that were missing. I absolutely loved uh, that scene. And uh, going back to the theatrical version, one thing that doomed the original version of this film were the extensive reshoots that took place. Lots of inconsistencies when it came to like certain scenes, like right. it's like when you watch that version, take a good close look at the reshoots, Aquaman's tattoos like switch between oh, shots. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I did not know that. I never noticed yeah. that. <laughs> ben yeah. Affleck's hairline too. Yeah, like Ben Affleck's hairline. Yeah, I knew and, the hairline. Yeah, and in the reshoots for uh, Justice League, uh, ben Affleck is a lot more like bloated. He, he's right. a, he was much chunkier than he was before. And again, like all the stuff that happened in Justice League was just, you know, and finally seeing this moment, like the way it was meant to be seen, I got completely hooked. I thought the dialogue was really good. And just the way they established Aquaman as a character in this movie was also brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Pete, what do you got on the Aquaman scene? I thought it was great. They explained how he got there. I mean, you just assume helicopter or something with Bruce Wayne, but this time we actually get to see him arrive. The only like uh, criticism I really have of the film in general is that I still can't take Ben Affleck as Batman. I don't, I what? don't buy it. Really? <laughs> oh, he's my favorite part of it. It's the, it, like, he's a great detective, but when he puts the mask, when he puts the suit on, it's like, I, I'm just so used to Bale and Keaton and yeah. who like comes next. Better. It's a hard sell because I've been watching Affleck as everybody else my whole life. And now yeah. it's weird he doesn't fit in there. But I love the scene, how it expanded. I, I love watching. I watched it a couple times because I wanted to know. First of all, I wanted to know where they were. It sounded like they were speaking Russian. But the song at the end of that scene killed me. I was I was like, what is this? So when we yeah. watched the whole credits, hoping for a second scene, turns out it's written by a uh, Icelandic composer and it seems to be specific for the movie and it translates as water transmitter rose indicators so if you switch it around what? probably wow. rose wa rose water indicators i don't know if that has anything to do with aquaman but <laughs> you know they, they sing to him or sing him on his way is what i got out of it so if there's any right. aquaman lore that probably played into it but it just seemed wow this wasn't in the first movie why are they singing this dark creepy song and there's something behind it, so thank you, Google Translate, for being reliable on translating Icelandic. <laughs> Dude, it's homework. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, I like uh, uh, again, like attention to detail. Like, yes, that's right. <laughs> yes. yes, it's. Um, I know this is a, a Marvel thing, but at the end of uh, Winter Soldier, the first song after, uh, or maybe it was at the end of uh, Civil War, there's a song by Alt J called "Left Hand Keep Your Left Hand Free," and the oh, left wow. arm is um, Bucky's. Yeah, uh, Bucky's uh, arm. There's another reference in uh, the winter first episode of Winter Soldier. It's that small stuff that it might seem minor, and it's like why? But you have to wonder why is this here? So right. I thought that scene was captured pretty well by like, okay, this guy's got a serious role and he's taking it on, and this is all prior to Aquaman the film, right? Mm -hmm. yes. So he hasn't really accepted his responsibilities uh, as protector of the oceans. But it, it, now that we've seen Aquaman, now that we've seen Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman '84. There's small things that come from those that make this much more complete, including yes. Wonder Woman being able to fly, which hadn't been explored yet except for 84. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's a good point. I will say that uh, as much as I love Ben Affleck as Batman, uh, heavy emphasis on love. I will admit that he does look a little funny in the suit at times, 
However, I will say that this particular version of Batman is taking a lot more cues from The Dark Knight Returns, who is like yes. a much more like bulkier and older version of Batman. So I am willing to like forgive that aspect of it. Yeah, I took his bulkiness in the suit a couple of ways. So like you said, Davis, it's more representative of him, uh, like the Frank Miller version of Batman. Yeah. He's bigger, stockier, more muscular. But I also attributed some of that to the suit itself and his desire to be intimidating to uh, combatants, right? So right. you don't want to be the same size as 10 other guys that you have to fight at the same time. But if your armor is bigger, you know what I mean? Like if, if, uh, oh, yeah. if you put muscle shading and you put like things in it to actually make you look more menacing, then that's going to up your intimidation factor. And that's how I took the design of that suit. And I also appreciate the fact they um, took a minute to explain that Alfred upgraded Batman's armor from the last movie where they used right. the Kryptonian technology on his arm blades, on, on mm -hmm. his gauntlets, so yeah. he could protect himself from potential, you know, lasers and this, this and that. They explained it again. Again, where I give Zack Snyder credit is his attention to detail. Yes. If all his attention to detail was cut off from the previous, you know, version. So I can appreciate that. And then one more thing I just want to point out about the Aquaman scene, we can kind of move on, is again, Pete, thanks for busting out the fact on the music. That I know some people, but some people have been <laughs> complaining. I liked it because it set a tone to this movie moving forward. Oh, yeah. Another thing I like, they took out that stupid line, I hear you can talk to fish. <laughs> thank you thank you i i hated that line like yeah. that song it was a little weird but the way i took it was that aquaman is like a meta human and he's like almost like a god to these people yes. that's why you see that that horny blonde chick just like <laughs> like you know i know i'm being funny but it's true Me too, man. Like, like a god he's the god of the ocean and he brings them food he protects them so right. again that weird song they probably just did that for him like oh my god yeah. here he is let's, let's say like this. a song of worship yeah yes yeah 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 really and this is super minor detail but they finally answered the question what happens to that sweater is it just sit there until he comes back like right if he's gonna keep showing up shirtless after swimming in where does the sweater go now when he's later on walking off that pier and, and the ocean the waves come up and grab him whatever but sure. he's wearing this nice shirt to keep himself warm that you see him later in it makes a little more sense instead of attention to detail that makes this just such a better film yeah i agree oh yeah keep, keep, keep in the tone of aquaman first and foremost again i love james wan's film he was given the task of making aquaman you know the goofy character made him awesome and he made a billion dollar film and I liked how they executed the Aquaman movie, but I have to take a minute and appreciate what Zack Snyder did with Aquaman and the Atlanteans. Right. First and foremost, it's so gut-wrenching that they took out Willem Dafoe's Valko character because oh, I, yeah. Willem Dafoe never phones it in. So yeah, he's I, I, I appreciate the fact that in James Wan's version, the Atlanteans just speak underwater. In this version, they make gestures and noises. Like, yeah. I don't know if it's just like, it's like the language they speak underwater or they just make noises and they mean certain things. But when they talk, they open up the bubble, the and, they, bubble. and that's how they communicate. I also like their armor. 
now again, in James Wan's version of the film, they had this very colorful armor. And in this movie, it's like rusty and like the color tone is, you know, the gray tone and whatnot. But I like the fact that Zack Snyder, even though it's still consistent with the Aquaman origin story that we got in James Wan's film, but he approached it differently. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing with the armor because I thought about that too, um, as far as like, you know, well, why is this armor brighter than this armor? And uh, one of the things I thought about was that in this version, the armor that he sort of puts on is his birthright. So that armor is hundreds, maybe thousands of years old that was worn by a former king of Atlantis. It's not like brand new armor that was recently forged. So it would be paler, look a little rustier, look like it has some debris on it. And so that speaks again to the attention to detail. These are things that have been thought out. You know, these are things that have been considered. Oh yeah. My favorite movie of 2019 was The Lighthouse and it was yeah. awesome seeing Willem Dafoe again. It's such a huge shame that he was cut out in the theatrical version because he was great here. I mean, I love Willem Dafoe in this movie. Yeah, yeah me like too. Said, he never phones it in and- oh, He's truly a phenomenal actor. Yeah. Yeah, and I also yeah. like the fact they briefly referenced, hey, you know, you've been teaching me this, you've been teaching me that. Yeah. And then he's like, well, Arthur, why are you back here? You keep coming back and this, this, and that. Like, again, they, at least I kept it consistent with the other film. And again, just like I said, Willem Dafoe, like I said, he never phones it in. Oh, yeah. And I feel like even if you haven't seen James Wan's Aquaman, you can still figure out, like, what's the deal with the Atlanteans, Volko, Arthur, mm -hmm. Mara, all that stuff. You know, in fact, I wasn't even thinking about James Wan's Aquaman movie while I was watching the Atlantean scenes. Like, I just went in, not completely fresh, because I have seen Aquaman, but I wasn't even thinking about that movie while watching it. And I really enjoyed, like, how the Atlanteans were established. Although, I will say, one of my complaints with James Wan's Aquaman film, as much as I like it, um, you do kind of get the sense that it wasn't sure if it wanted to follow up on the theatrical version of Justice League or Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yeah, and I think that sort of speaks to the schism inside of Warner Brothers. So, you know, um, oh, yeah. a lot of these films were guided by Zack Snyder, you know, when he was still a part of the Warner Brothers machine. Particularly, you know, we've talked about this before, like his involvement in the Wonder Woman films and how Patty Jenkins really leaned on him to make sure that whatever story that she told that it worked with whatever his vision was. And so after he kind of left the Justice League project, that sort of threw everything into two camps. You know, like you had everybody who was on Snyder's team who was really backing for this film to come out. And then you had all the execs who were really trying to just consider a post-Snyder DCEU. And, you know, how do we make all these things make sense with Whedon's version of Justice League. And so that particular scene, and maybe there are a few other scenes where you see certain differences where that's really noticeable. Right. The one thing that I really liked about it, and I agree with everything you guys touched on, especially Willem Dafoe's character being there, was that scene where um, Arthur goes down to King Atlan and looks at his trident, he just keeps coming back. That's great foreshadowing whether you've seen the Aquaman film or not, because that right. becomes a pivotal thing, because that becomes his trident. Willem Dafoe's character throws the other trident down, so when Aquaman finally does show up in the underground tunnels, uh, yes. when that was that, I don't remember if that was in the original, but that was so 
awesome to see him show up. And I'm like, he didn't get the trident. No, he's got his mom's trident and right. he's taking his role and at least getting involved with everybody. It reminds me of when he goes deep into the ocean in the Aquaman movie and becomes himself. I love the Aquaman film. There were very few things I would have changed to have one of my favorite bad guys in Black Manta. So yes, yeah. I, I'm, I'm thrilled. Uh, awesome. Yeah, I'm, and I'm thrilled he'll. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll see him for you know future ones to come. I don't want to skip to the very end, but I loved seeing the Hall of Justice the preview of yeah. them stepping in there, and all I was thinking because uh, Jay and I were chatting, he's like, "Oh, you're gonna love the end," and I'm like, "Oh, don't tell me they actually show us." like a completed one. Like I remember the cartoon. So I'm like, just waiting to see that the hall of justice or like, right. Oh yeah, that's right. This was in the original. Cause I don't think I ever made it that far in any rewatch to, to get to that part. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good segue because you just talked about the tunnel scene. Okay. I'm perfect segue. Cause I definitely want to chop that one up for sure. The tunnel first and foremost, you were exactly right. Yes. The Aquaman doing the trident was in the original cut, but we never got all that explanation prior. And in, in the theatrical version, he just basically just shows up. Just shows up. He has up, that yeah. br the brief encounter with Mara, and then he just shows up. But this, as you just said, there's a buildup. They, they, there's more explanation mm -hmm. of his character. So when he finally shows up with the trident, it makes that moment that more special. Yes. That being said, the tunnel fight. Oh my God, man. My mind was blown about how much better that tunnel fight was. They got rid of a lot of those stupid moments there where he's like, I'm afraid of bugs and this, this, and that. And then of yeah. course the infamous Barry falling on top of Diana. I which, hated that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, uh, that, that was the good, but the part, the thing that blew my mind was the scene where like all the debris is falling and then the flash is like zigzagging above them, catching yes. the, the debris. Like that was fucking awesome. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, dude. Like, <laughs> That was so amazing. And then again, Batman whoops some ass too. You know, it was great to see more Ben Affleck's Batman just whooping ass. Instead of just shooting guns, he uses his combat. He uses his grappling hook. And it was cool to see like the quote unquote non-superhero doing his thing. Uh, I'm going out of order here, but the score, that score with the guitar, that dern, dern, dern. Like I freaking loved it when they got off the ship there and they played that guitar. And then Cyborg has this moment with Batman saying, all these years I didn't even, cause he was from Gotham. He goes, I didn't know you actually existed and this, this and that. Like, oh man, everything about yeah. the tunnel scene was just so much better in this film. Oh, okay, yeah. guys. Yeah, I mean, I agree with almost everything that you said. I really loved like the scenes with the flash there, you know what I mean? Because in Whedon's cut, he's visibly like afraid of like, okay, well, I've only ever pushed people and run away and sort of like paints him as this sort of like this kind of wimp. Here, you get that fear, but you also get the sense that he's willing to overcome that fear, right? Oh, so yeah. like you see him doing a lot more with his powers here, particularly that scene where the parademon is like trying to shoot him. And it's like, every time he shoots a laser, he's like in one spot, in another spot, in another spot. Yeah. That was like fantastic. That was like what I was waiting for, like the whole time, you know what I mean? The stuff with Batman, I've touched on it in other episodes where I think that this version of Batman is the only live action version where he's making good use of like not only his gadgets but pieces of his costume like he's using his cape he's using his gauntlets he's using part of his horns like he's doing a lot of things tactically with the suit that was built for him and you really don't get that in a lot of other iterations you didn't even really get that in the 2017 cut so to see it here in that tunnel scene was fantastic 
I disagree with you on the score. I feel like there Here were we go. parts of that score that were problematic, particularly the scenes with Wonder Woman. Anytime oh. she anything, you had to hear that weird singing right before. <laughs> and I love, I love Wonder Woman's theme, like Tina Guo's like theme for her. I that's one of my favorite cinematic themes. But the singing every single time, it got a little bit annoying to me. Like, and it bordered on ridiculous. I that's get it. That's, that seems to be the, like, the divisive top. Go ahead, guys. Uh, you guys already know my opinion. Yeah, what do you guys think? I honestly really like the score. Wonder Woman's theme in Zack Snyder's Justice League is probably my favorite motif in that movie. Yeah. Uh, I don't mean to get too off topic, but I really liked how this version really fleshes out its characters, like, even more especially when it comes to The Flash. We already talked about how the theatrical version really played on, you know, this sissy, pussy Flash. Yeah. And where in this one, like you said, Mark, there is that fear, but he is willing to overcome that fear. I actually remember hating how The Flash was portrayed in the theatrical right. version. This version won me over. And while we're on the topic of character arcs, Cyborg, man. Yes. They they really did Ray Fisher dirty in the theatrical version. And honestly, Cyborg is perhaps my favorite character in, in this movie. I agree. Yes. He wasn't just there and to the sidelines. He actually had a purpose. He had motivation. He had actual character depth. Like everything about his character was truly executed very well. I agree. I agree. I, mean, I, I, really I want to get to Cyborg, but before we get to Cyborg, uh, Pete, since you work for NewYorkStateMusic.com, and we're talking about the score here. I mean, you touched upon the Aquaman song, but I really want to get your opinion on the score. I thought the score felt uh, appropriate at times. I, I do agree that there was some parts where it just didn't feel synced up, but I have to go back and rewatch to find those. But even as that last scene where they're standing on top of uh like a reactor or something or whatever that last whatever they're all then they pan by that felt like one of those monumental like avengers-esque you know moments yeah. where the music is just crescendoing perfectly it's well written for the moment like it really gives you that strong feeling um and i love what they did with the wonder woman uh theme to give it that more metal vibe ever since the first movie came out it was like Oh yeah, all right, this is up there. I know that theme. It's appropriate for now and it's enough to get the, the old fans remembering, oh yeah, that's that's how that goes. So when that got worked in, it was like, yep, that's Wonder Woman's music, let's go. Because um, I don't know, nobody else really has a theme, I'm Superman has a theme song, but we're not good, but we don't, we don't really use that that much. But in general, I, I thought the music that went along with everything, whether it was the score or the soundtrack, were pretty well aligned with the theme of, uh, of the flow. Yeah. yeah, I understand where Mark's coming from, too, because, like, everybody I've talked to has got a different opinion, especially everyone zeroes in on the Wonder Woman and the, ah, thing. Yeah. I loved it. I feel like that music it totally works because in this version, Wonder Woman has no problem killing. Yeah. And I just feel like with that little gloomy operatic, you know, singing that we hear, I just feel that it fits that vibe. That being said, I really want to get... Davis, you touched on Cyborg. Before we get into Cyborg real quick, and Mark and I were talking off air, I find it disturbing that Cyborg's story was cut so much. And then, of course, Iris West was completely cut from the movie. What's the common denominator there? They're black. I just find that really, really disturbing how much was cut off 
for whatever reason. And I'm just really, really happy that we see Iris West and Cyborg. Ultimately, if you think about it, the whole entire Cyborg origin, the whole entire Cyborg story was put in this movie. So guys, go ahead. And adding to what you were saying just now, Jay, there are also other characters who are POC, especially the Asian character who worked at Star Labs, as well as like other Atlanteans and Amazonians who were also POC, like they were completely cut out in the theatrical version. I'm sure it's common knowledge that, you know, huge like blockbuster movies, they tend to make a lot of money in China, Star Wars, Transformers, Marvel movies, like many action-packed blockbusters make most of their money from China. And when you look at the marketing for uh, these Hollywood productions, when they're promoted in China, any character who is a minority of sorts are either pushed to the sideline or just completely cut out. Like, look at the Chinese poster for Star Wars The Force Awakens, where Finn is just not even there at all. Or one of the posters for The Black Panther, where they put the helmet on T'Challa. Whereas in, in the actual poster, you see his face. So I feel like the removal of like a great chunk of characters in this version of Justice League for the theatrical version was essentially made to appeal to China, which pretty pretty messed up if you ask me. Yeah, yeah I feel that the cyborg was just like spliced in to like say, okay, well, we've got, you know, the five other guys are in here, but what we can do with this cyborg footage? And they just slipped in some scenes here and there. And uh, I'm a fan of Justice League, but Cyborg is a character I don't know very much about. And I, I don't want to speak for others, but he seems like the character that very few people would know about. Because we all know Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman got his own film, and The Flash is a, as, a, as a TV show, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, so Cyborg has nothing. So this time around, we got the full story, the, the issue between... Uh, you know, man versus machine, criticizing his father, his father going so far as to say, I brought life to you twice. And then his father sacrifices himself so that everybody can find the last box. There was so much more. And I also, you kind of, on just a structural level, you want to know exactly what he can do. And it's not just I can read computers and stuff, which he did have in the first movie, but you know, the way that his arms turn into whatever they turn into. All of that is new to the average viewer because Cyborg's not a run-of-the-mill character like Batman or Superman. So we we need that backstory. We want to hear more about him. And this gave so much more depth. And, you know, the final scene where they're breaking up the boxes and he's just dialed in there and trapped inside and just waiting for Flash, that felt more emotional now because you spent all that time building up to it. And now you've got that and he's trapped in there with his mom and dad and himself without the the metal and then just waiting on Barry wherever he is and that all came together so much better like he felt like a full sixth uh part of the team instead of just and featuring cyborg rather which is just how it came off the last time going off topic a little I grew up watching the Teen Titans cartoon that was on Cartoon Network and I really liked cyborg as a character And, and I will say that recently Cyborg has appeared in Doom Patrol, and they do a great job with this character there. And I'm truly happy to see them do Cyborg justice, uh, pun intended, <laughs> in, 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 more, in more recent DC media. Yeah. I mean, in addition to all of the extrapolation that they did to Cyborg in the 2017 film, 
I think an even bigger tactical error was to remove all of these other characters who it's clear that Snyder had plans for, right? Like for example, Ryan Choi, who was the Asian guy in the film, the assistant to Silas Stone. Who becomes um, the Adam, know, right? Right, in the comics, he's the Adam. So they actually set up in the film that he becomes the director of nanotechnology. Yeah. That was a hint. So I was... we're, gonna see, we're gonna see more of him. You know, the black Amazonian, the Themyscirin soldier. It wasn't really said openly, but I believe 100% that that's Nubia. That's the second yeah. Wonder Woman. So there are other um, mm. characters, all these important characters of color that were actually written into the original story that were excised for whatever reason. But now you don't have, now if they, if they ever did have any plans for these characters going forward, you have very little backstory. But here, you know, Snyder provides like an interesting amount of foreshadowing to let you know, like, hey, this universe is about to expand. You're about to see these heroes blossom. These people are going to become additional members of the League later. That's why in that end scene where they're starting to like plan out the Hall of Justice, that's why Diana says with room for more, because she knows like, okay, these are potential heroes coming forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm gonna add on to the cyborg thing, man. Um, you guys have all touched on it, but I will say like Joe Martin, who's Silas Stone, his father, this performance to me, the way this performance spoke to me, first and foremost, again, the score, all that music you hear during the whole entire cyborg story, my God, that's so brilliant. But the performance is so poetic. Zack Snyder found Ray Fisher. Ray Fisher was a Broadway actor in New yeah. York City. Zach mm. found him. It was so poetic. It wasn't just like him being a superhero. This was him being a beloved son, a football player. And they touched on it. He was a hacker at college. Right. He wanted to help people. But like just the performance and the way Ray Fisher was telling his story, it was emotional. It was gut-wrenching seeing him win the football game and his dad's not there. And if you're really, really paying attention, when he gets in the car accident, which is accurate to the comic, by the way, he put his arm in front of his mother right before the crash happened. He was trying yeah. to save his mother. And then, of course, the scene where he's like looking through all those security cameras and he's following that waitress who was broke. Mm -hmm. And uh, like, just, oh, wow. The whole cyborg story was amazing, man. I just, yeah. uh, Oh, I think yeah. I can go on and on and on about it. I love right. it. Right. And how do you strip that down knowing that, you know, his origin is all about the mother box technology? You yeah. know what I mean? Like that killed me about Whedon's version is that how do you not really touch on that? How do you only give a brief glimpse of that and not make that the focus of the story? You know, so yeah, I'm really glad that he got his due. I'd never really seen Ray Fisher act in anything else. Yeah. And I really thought that this was his moment. He really got a chance to shine here and he took that opportunity and ran with it. To me, he knocked it out of the park. I wholeheartedly believe everything, you know, Ray Fisher has said prior to the movie coming out. What concerns me is moving forward. I mean, are we gonna get more Cyborg? Is he gonna be in the Flash movie? Is he gonna find more work? He was right about Ray Fisher, yeah. or Josh Whedon, but like, but then he's also upset about some of the execs and this, this and that. Yeah. And of course he's on his Twitter rant. Just worries me because like, I wanna see more of Cyborg and I really wanna see more of Ray Fisher because like, again, it was a poetic 
performance. It was beautiful. Like just the, the emotions, the way he spoke, you know, yeah. because I'm sorry, I'm with Davis here. Like I'm so used to the Teen Titans, uh, you know, hey, it's Cyborg, <laughs> let's get pizza. Booyah. Right. You know, like I'm used to that. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I, I love it. It's, it's great. Yeah. Well, I've never seen this version. I know. I mean, granted, like some of the, the new 52 films a little bit, but sure. not like this. Yeah. You know, I, I just the, want more. Yeah. The only other time that I've really seen like a dark version of Cyborg where he's really struggling with this new person that he's become is in the latest season of Young Justice, the Outsiders season. They have a number of episodes that focus on Cyborg's origin and like what happens to him after the accident? Like, what is this thing? Like, how do I control it? Am I a freak? Like, and so he's like going through all that and then they show a dark part of his personality. I think that this took pieces of that and sort of just expanded on it in a lot of interesting ways. Keep it in the realm of Cyborg, the Superman resurrection scene, there's some details there oh, that, that was completely washed. Batman's demanding, hey, do it. And then at the very, very last minute, Cyborg gets the vision of the nightmare multiverse or the nightmare scenario. He's counting down. He's like five, four, three, two. And then right before he says one, he does this and he make, makes his look on his face. And then you see a dead Wonder Woman being burned. Yeah. And then you see the Amazons crying. And then you see a dead Lois Lane and Superman crying. And then with Darkseid holding Superman's shoulder. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> that that was from Cyborg's perception. So Cyborg and Batman are sharing the same vision, and yes. then Cyborg tried to abort the mission because he knew that if we resurrect Superman, this is what's going to happen. happen. Yeah. No. Okay. This is the thing that confused me a little bit. Was it Cyborg? Was he trying to lift up the mother box from hitting the water? Because you see the mother box sink in, and mm -hmm. then it starts going upward. Was that Cyborg trying to abort? the mother box or was that the flash just you know kinda... I, I i took that as uh the flash hitting the speed force yeah. and reversing mm -hmm. time yeah which it was a prelude to the end of the movie where he really rewinded time right which is also a prelude to the upcoming uh flash movie if yes. you think about it <laughs> <laughs> good point it kind of explains why cyborg pointed his gun at Superman, but he didn't want to because his controls in the mother box, you know, his armor saw that vision and was trying to kill Superman because that future scenario is going to happen. Well, they, it, right. Well, well, that's one way to look at it. At the time that I watched it, I, I thought it was in reference to what Wonder Woman said, which was that the mother boxes are actually afraid of Superman. They only woke up after he died. And so since he's made of the mother box energy, when Superman started scanning him, his technology became aware of it and became afraid. And that's why his defense mechanisms went off. Oh, okay. I thought maybe it was because like you said, he got a glimpse of the future. That's just, I, I mean, it could be that. It could be both. Yeah, while we're on the resurrection, this scene was probably like the closest to like, that was kind of like unchanged until you get to Batman. Right. And I actually like the fact that he lasered Batman, not once, but twice. Yeah. <laughs> and then Lois Lane came on her own instead of being the big gun. Like right. she came on her own and then Superman snapped out of it. But that that, but made yeah, more sense. that scene was, that was just badass and how that was executed. I yeah. like this version way more. 
and incorporated the, uh, the, the gauntlets. The, yeah, the Kryptonian yes, gauntlets. It brought that full, you know, if you're going to introduce something early on, at least bring it up later on. And it, it's not wasting a scene, not wasting a moment in the movie. So that was pretty cool to see. It was like, all right, we're going to get one, we're going to get two, and then when's Lois coming? There she is. And it was, so if you'd seen the first, you knew it was there, and then he snaps out of it. So. Yeah. And I like that they set it up like not like that they had to suddenly come up with this plot device for why lois would be there she's been coming there every day, every day. since he mm -hmm. died and i love that they set it up right in the beginning like she just happened to already be there you know what i mean like or somewhere close so that when that happened oh well she's already right there so it makes sense that she would just naturally run over it just felt more natural more yes. organic it was oh, yeah. just it's it's superior writing i think also uh no more cgi superman mouth yes, yes. <laughs> That's another thing. I how did that. we not address that first <laughs> no do you bleed and that's another thing he does that stupid do you bleed line which doesn't work a second time right and then of course he throws batman over there and then batman says that other stupid oh something's bleeding now and oh yeah like, thank god it was like, like too slapstick crazy. in that version i feel like yeah <laughs> No, but an, another thing about that scene um, or the scenes that are adjacent to it is that when Superman wakes up, he doesn't remember who he is. And in the Whedon cut, it's like as soon as he sees Lois, he, it's almost like he snaps back to himself. But in this, they show like scenes where he's just barely starting to remember just pieces like, OK, well, I, I like it here. Like, I, I remember this place, like little things like he's on the farm, but he still doesn't know where he's at. He still doesn't know who he is. And again, that's more organic and more realistic, in my opinion, than, oh, than yeah. to just suddenly see Lois and it's like, oh, OK, I'm Clark again. Yeah, that felt fake in the last one. Like, oh, she's that she has that much power over him. Uh, I thought that it took a little while for him to in, appropriately so for him to get back to business because he was he goes back to the farm and then i and i think the first scene that i saw was um he's standing out in the field and yeah. i was like oh he's like a scarecrow probably because he's just a little bit scared from you know what he's doing so he's just touching the corn plants i was saying to my girlfriend i watched like do you think he like speed plants the corn or does he just go top one at a time to try and do it as a man side Theory right. there, but he uh, he's 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 there in the field, and mom runs up, and then Lois runs over, and he's like, "I'm here, all right, I got this now." But they brought me back for a reason, so I got to go check that out. And right. and I think then he goes to Alfred, and then he goes to meet up with them, and it all it, it was well timed when he did show up too. Yes. I thought that was perfect in the final scenes. Like you knew it was coming. Oh oh nope. There he is. So it was more of a buildup because he's not in the movie for maybe an hour. He's either in this for 25% of the film and in the last one, he was there for much more. So the way they treated Superman was much better, especially because we have a really solid Superman, Henry Cahill. Yeah, shout out to the black suit Superman. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, that they was cool. They could have fleshed it out a little bit more explaining the black suit, but at least they took a moment where he goes to space and just, you know, absorbs, absorbs. the sunlight. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there was a real Jesus moment there as he's just, you know, arms out and and, yeah. <laughs> and and for the allegory of Superman as Jesus, it's good to just to see it every once in a while. Um, I've gone back and looked at Superman 1, 2, and 3 lately, and the illusions are in there. They're just as subtle, and you need to see it because it's perfect. And I even, I, I didn't know that his middle name was Joseph, Clark Joseph Kent. 
And um, I, yeah, I didn't know that either. <laughs> and Joseph is Jesus' dad, so it's just another uh, another little connection to that. I always I always found that pretty fascinating and part yeah. of the Superman, oh, yeah. Superman mythology. Yeah, another thing I appreciated too, and I didn't really realize until someone on Twitter pointed it out, is that the shot of Superman in the cornfield lines up with the Richard Donner Superman in the cornfield because he's wearing the red plaided shirt right. in the cornfield, and someone's like taking. I saw that too. Yeah, and they're like, yeah. hey, this, this lines up with Zack Snyder paid tribute to Christopher Reeve. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, but that's an excellent point. Now i got to go back and watch that scene to really appreciate that. I want to talk real quick, uh, Martian Manhunter. What did, uh, I want to hear all, <laughs> go around the story. What did you guys, how did you guys react when we first saw Martian Manhunter? I, so I lost it when I saw Martian Manhunter. I was like, oh my God, he's actually in this. <laughs> so prior to this, you didn't know? Well, well, I did know that Martian Manhunter was going to be in it, but like the way they like built up to Martian Manhunter, mm -hmm. like, I was not expecting that. <laughs> it was a nice inclusion because I took him as like the next one that we're missing besides the, the Green Lanterns. You know, when, it, when he shows up about halfway through the movie, I messaged Jade. I was like, yes, all right, he's here. But we're going to wait till the end. And then he shows up again and explains himself a little bit. So he's always been there. You know, that that feels like this is a little more thorough and in-depth that they have this one character from another planet who's there because DC's universe so far is very uh, Earthbound. Um, yeah. All of them are from Earth. It's not like Marvel where you've got a lot of people from outer space even uh, starting out early. This is the first intergalactic character. So interplanetary character. So... I think that's going to be a pretty cool addition and it allows, you know, a little bit more room for thing, more things to happen in space because, you know, you have, you know, dark sides wherever he's located and, you know, green lanterns will be factored in hopefully. Yeah. Manhunter, glad to see him. Yeah. I love that he appears. I hate that he was underutilized, you know, and this could just be because I knew Snyder's intention with Swanwick as a character that he was in fact, Martian Manhunter. And so when he first appeared on the screen, I was like, okay, great. This plays in to the whole slogan of unite the seven, right? Because even with Superman, they're only six. So I was like, okay, well, Martian Manhunter's gotta be the seventh one. So the whole rest of the movie, after he appears to Lois as Martha, I'm waiting for him to jump in. Like he's going to drop in like any second, like, you know, when they're fighting Steppenwolf, he's going to appear somewhere. And then it turns out that we don't even get him until the end. It was like a huge disappointment to me. And then it just left me wondering like, well, he knew that all this stuff was going on. He even talked to Bruce about this attack that was coming and stuff like that. Why did he not join in with them the whole time? What was he doing? And it just, it, it really bothered me as far as like after the movie, like after I was thinking about it, like, well, why was he not more active in the film? Like I, I, to me, it would have added something. It would have like actually packed a bigger punch if even you give him one or two scenes where he's actually fighting these parademons or something like that, it would have been great. The Martian Manhunter is a nice inclusion Mm -hmm. They just don't really justify him being there enough. Right. Yeah. It is a little bit of an add-on. I do agree with you on that. He's not really justified in this. It's just very nice to see that they're not forgetting him. 
Yeah. And he was part of the reshoots too. Like, you know how Zack Snyder was given $70 million to not only touch up the movie, but to do reshots. Right. Martian Manhunter was one of the added additional scenes that wasn't in there to begin with. Right. I was fine with it. Mark and I talked about it. We went in depth a little bit off air, basically like, well, you know, we kind of talked about, well, we he's been there since Man of Steel. Why didn't he do anything? My thing is like, I felt like he knew that one, that Superman was going to be able to defeat Zod and Man of Steel. And he was just overseeing everything. And then Batman versus Superman, he knew that they were going to overcome Doomsday. And he probably knew that Superman really wasn't like dead per se, because, you know, I think he's got, like I said, psychic abilities and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I feel like he finally shows up because Darkseid, I'm, gonna, I'm sorry if we haven't talked about Darkseid yet, but Darkseid was the ultimate threat. Darkseid is the threat to the multiverse. And I feel like maybe it was finally Darkseid that drove him out of his disguise per se. Right, um, right. I already knew he was going to be there because Zack Snyder said a long time ago that Harry Lennox is Martian Manhunter. And he didn't reveal that. And this was before the Snyder Cut was even official. Exactly. So, but yeah, yeah like I'm, I said, I'm okay with it. I'm glad, they, I'm glad he was included in there. Again, I understand why you'd want to see more of him. But that was the impression I got that he was kind of waiting. It was Dark Side that brought him out of his disguise. Yeah, and you may have something there because I, I kind of feel like, you know, if you know about Martian Manhunter's origin, he's the last oh, of his kind. of his yeah. species, and he came to Earth to go into hiding, right? And so that makes sense that like, okay, maybe he feels like he can't get involved. All right, this this planet already has its champions; they will take care of it. You know, do I risk coming out of hiding? You know what I mean? And maybe the threat of Dark Side is enough to where he's like okay i need to at least warn them that this is coming and you know if they need me i'll be around or whatever like that but you know still just knowing that i just think it would have been a better a slightly better movie if we'd have gotten some involvement with him yeah so do you guys want to talk about the ending with jared leto or do you guys want to talk about the final battle first man (laughs) both are great Um I feel like talking about the final battle would be would be a okay. more fluid segue. Okay. So whoever wants to go first. I love Steppenwolf's redesign. They yes. really made him a lot more menacing. They gave him more motivation, some actual depth. Like, yes. I really enjoyed his character in this version. And I thought the final battle was just freaking sweet. I had a big smile on my face the whole time. I was thinking, yes, this is the Justice League. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It looked like more of a team. It felt more like, you know, it felt like first Avengers level teamwork, but on a, you know, second Avengers kind of level. So I was pretty impressed to see them all come together the way they all work together in, in every capacity. It took a moment where it was like, oh my God, they failed. They united and then Barry comes in and I'm like, he's yes. not going re- to rewind time. Yes, he does. The fact that he can do that and he does it so well and he, it fit in perfectly just as he's like, okay, we're going to do it. Yeah, it came together perfectly and wrapped up nicely, especially yeah, with Dark Side just turning around and walking out. <laughs> yeah, because for a moment they failed. And then if you think about Flash was the ultimate hero. He reversed yes. time just enough so mm-hmm. he could send the spark and they could separate the, the boxes after they did unite the boxes. Like, it was freaking awesome. And, of course, you know, seeing Superman just pound the shit out of Steppenwolf and then laser oh, that was great. pounding, laser yeah. pound, laser, lasers <laughs> off his goddamn horn. Yeah. Aquaman with this Mortal Kombat stab. And then finally, again, I love the Wonder Woman theme. Uh, it chops his goddamn head off. 
right in front of Darkseid. Like, yeah. yes. And then Darkseid <laughs> staring them down. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah. 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 I, I especially like um, what they did with Flash in that scene because yeah. it harkens back to earlier in the film where he talks about, well, there's this thing I can do. I don't like doing it because yeah. it can upset the balance of whatever, you know, and he's obviously talking about the flashpoint. flashpoint he's obviously yeah. talking about like going into the speed force and changing time. And you see, you see him do it when the mother box hits the water and comes back up. And then you see it again here where he's failed, but he knows in order for them to win, he has to take everything back. And by doing that, I'm almost certain that that was a setup for the Flashpoint film where, okay, he's upset the natural balance of things. So now that you've changed the outcome, you've changed everybody's reality in some small way. And maybe you don't see that right away, but in the next Justice League film, or maybe in the Flashpoint, you see these subtle changes. Yeah, and it sets up more. It wasn't, not only that they set up Flashpoint, they obviously set up Batman's solo film because now, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't the yacht scene, wasn't that Whedon's doing, not Snyder? Or was In the that original? Snyder? Yeah. The original version where he's like, oh, well, don't you think we need own. a league of our own? Yeah, yeah, like he changed that. The original scene is what we saw in this iteration. And that was to set up Affleck's version of Batman, yes. which no one outside of a studio has actually read the script but the synopsis that's been sort of out there for a while yeah. has been it's all about deathstroke learning his identity and yep. using that against him to sort of have him question his own sanity to sort of like mentally torment him yeah and so that was very nicely handled i thought yeah so i'm hoping because the batfleck solo series that rumor won't die yeah. Now yeah. it's going to be put into overdrive. I'm saying it right now. I'm demanding it. Hand ban Affleck the keys. Let him direct. Let him write. Let him do it. Let him. Yeah. <laughs> and he can be right on HBO Max. It doesn't have to be big budget. Just bring back J.K. Simmons, Jeremy Irons, Joe Maganello, and Ben Affleck. Let them do that story of the solo Batman versus Deathstroke. I want it badly now. Now that we got yeah. the, the official setup for it, make it happen. Please. Yeah. Yeah. Please. To me, this is, and I know I, I might be in the minority here, but this is the best Batman we've ever gotten. And I yeah, think I that, and I think that uh, understanding the synopsis and knowing what Affleck was originally going for, having it be sort of related to David Fincher's Fight Club and sort of having it be like, well, you know, sort of having Batman ask these questions, are these villains real? Are these rogues real? Or are they just aspects of my own personality? I would love to see that play out. Yeah. You know, I would love to see a, a, a mini series where you see Batman in mental anguish because that is the one, the one person he can't defeat is himself really. And if so, if you pit him against himself, then you have uh, the makings of a very compelling story, I think. If that Batman story or plotline like comes into fruition, I'd be so happy to see it, honestly. I feel I like it's got the best chance of happening. I if Justice League, two, I don't know if Justice League two will happen, but I think there is the slight possibility of the Ben Affleck solo HBO Max thing happening. I just feel like yeah. if we're gonna get anything else after this, it, it, that's gonna be the one that's gonna happen. I feel. Oh, yeah. like. I hope so. 
I'd take a version of that on HBO Max. I just I kind of want to see where they go with Robert Pattinson's version and, yeah. and what else they can do with Batman on the big screen. But yeah. Yeah. I'll give Affleck one more shot, especially if this Deathstroke storyline is damping you guys up so much. And now I'm excited for it because it's, it's, it's <laughs> sometimes I, you get the, two you know. Batman's. I'm I'm fine with two Batmans. Let, yeah, let's, let's have yeah we've got two before. Jokers. So yeah. yeah. Speaking of Joker. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, this movie wouldn't be what it is without that additional nightmare scene and jared leto knocked it out of the park and mark do you remember when we talked about the little things do you yes. remember what i said yes. in that review yeah i said where was that performance in the little things in joker and exactly. suicide squad exactly. we got that here i know it was brief but talk about th that dialogue fun fact ben affleck and uh, jared leto did not film that scene together due to quarantine Wow. They filmed their shots separately. They used body doubles and they made it work as one scene together. Huh. Brilliant. And just that whole entire dialogue where he calls Mara a flounder and a fish stick. Yeah. And then he taunts Batman saying, you need me. You know, Mara said, who did you lose? He lost a father. He lost a mother and an adopted, adopted son. son. Oh, oh, my God. Jared Leto, he's redeemed himself. He's redeemed yeah. himself. Yep. I'm all for seeing yeah. him play the role again. Guys, give me your thoughts on that brilliant scene. Chills. Like, <laughs> nothing but chills. I know people hate the whole aggressive killing Batman, and I totally get that. But I feel like, in context, this take on Batman does make a lot more sense. Yeah. Uh, part of my language, but when Batman says, when I kill you, and trust me, I will fucking kill you. Yes. I was like, oh, yeah. God. I, I don't think we've ever heard Batman use that language before. Like, it's right. like you know, yeah. I'm sure there's a Batman where he says shit or something like that, but it never goes so far as an F-bomb. And that's where I was like, ooh, what, what future are we in? And the whole time, and this was my like my one gripe with the movie came at the end because I was like, this isn't a dream sequence. What cool thing is this? It's a dream sequence. God damn it. But he yeah, says, but so he, was the he BBS. Says, that was a dream sequence too. And then the flash appeared. Yeah, so but now it makes sense. Yes. After thinking about it, it made complete sense. The confrontation between Batman and Joker and the two of them having to work together and what it leads to, you know, it could, you know, there's a lot that you can do to bridge the gap in between. Oh, totally. Those. I knew this for years because Kevin Smith leaked it on his podcast like years ago. But even knowing what I knew, I was still blown away because of the execution. And again, I also like the fact that Batman said, well, yeah, well, I killed Harley Quinn and she begged me yeah. before she died. I was just like, oh my God, it just, that, that dialogue just kept getting better and better. And then Superman appears and then Jared Leto, true to Joker, he was laughing. Which by the way, if you guys really want to know, what was originally written is Superman crushes Mira's head and he kills Deathstroke and Deadshot. It was Joker, Cyborg, Flash, and Batman that sent Flash back in time that yeah. we saw on BVS. But the fact that we got a glimpse of what was about to happen, God, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. That was the best scene of the movie. It was necessary, and I'm glad they did it. I want to see that Nightmare Vision as a full movie. I, I, yeah. I'm a fan of, like, dystopia. Like, I love, like, Planet of the Apes, sure. Book of Eli, shit like that. But to see this world where Darkseid has won, Superman is basically the Injustice Superman. Like, I want to see this. That was kind of what I was going to bring up is that like they did a good job of sort of incorporating 
the anti-life equation storyline and the injustice storyline, which is, by the way, is far and away my favorite comic book story arc. I think that Leto really brought it this time, you know, like I think that he was able to see his own performance and what worked and what didn't work in Suicide Squad and then kind of take elements of other performances that he's done and sort of improve on that character and improve on his take and make it his own. Just like the rest of you, like I really enjoyed that exchange between the two of them because it revealed a lot, not just about Jared Leto, but about how far Batman has fallen. Like he's clearly lost everybody Mm -hmm. and he has no code anymore. He's like, he's not, He's, he's threatening not, to kill Joker and he's not a killer. Right. Yeah. And he's and he's already admitted to killing Harley Quinn, which is likely something he wouldn't yeah. have done before. Mm-hmm. And so I I really hope that, you know, even if Snyder's not involved, if we get another great director, that they actually flesh that out and that they give us a sequel of some kind that involves that, that gives us a little bit more of that story. So uh, we'll kind of like wrap this up. Pete, go ahead. Plug yourself in and what you do, and then give your overall rating and thoughts of the movie. And how would you rate this, like between one and ten? Well, uh, for a grade, I give it like an eight and a half. I thought this was well done. You know, I, I don't even want to think about rating the first one, but it was well laid out. So it wasn't like a laborious, like we have to sit here for four hours. It was broken up. The uh, story was accessible. You didn't need any backstory, and, and if you did, it was even better. And it left you hanging on to what happens in the future with Darkseid. And while Avengers fans and uh, will see Darkseid and think Thanos, you know you'll see him later on in, in some capacity. So we're kind of like already anticipating what will come in the future here. And then you know there's another epic battle coming up with that guy. I did like that they were vague on it about the anti-life equation, uh, which... I'll be honest, I have no idea what that is. I, I've heard of it. I haven't looked into it. And I think there's a lot of people who be like, huh? And it's like alluding to some larger thing that can come into play. And what is this anti-life equation? And it's got to be something that, it's, it's something to carry on. And it's more than just, you know, stones. It's, it's more than that. Like there, there's a whole thing involved. There's math now. So people can, as far as I know, it's math. I, I'm not sure what, what this is. And that's the cool thing is like, we can go in dark and be like, all right. So there's this, I thought overall it was great. You know, I, I look forward to dissecting it and going over certain parts of it again and again, especially the last two. This was, you know, a pretty strong performance. And again, you know, the actors and the fans kind of came together to say there's more and there's a better version. And maybe in the future, they'll let us have theatrical three hour plus versions or HBO Max becomes this much more of a streaming service to present us with a full, hey, here's a four hour cut of Wonder Woman 1984. Guess what? It didn't suck. Uh, <laughs> I, don't know, here, I don't know if we have time for that. Suicide Squad. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where can people find your work and you know anything uh, you want to promote to our uh, Nerd Cage Live audience? Oh, for sure. Uh, so uh, visit uh, NewYorkStateMusic.com, whether you're from New York or anywhere else. We have a great amount of a uh, music in this state a lot of rich music history uh from you know major bands up and coming artists uh right now we're wrapping up our uh, march madness series where we had 64 up and coming bands from around the state down to our final four uh voting ends tuesday and then we have our finals and we're going to be kicking off a new series made in new york real soon so if you have any connection to new york any interest in new york there's uh, just a, an immense amount of music and music history that comes out of this 
state. So uh, we're looking forward to bringing that to you. And music's coming back. So we got only a few months before we can start to get to normal. So, uh, yeah, just, you know, get excited, be patient, and visit NewYorkStateMusic.com. Thank you for coming on, Pete. We absolutely cannot wait to have you on again, chop it up more, where if we do a recorded show or a live show, we definitely very much look forward to having you back on real soon, man. And this this was, I had an absolute field day chopping it up with you, man. Thank you for your unique perspective. Thanks, Jay, Mark, Davis. This has been great geeking out on this. I've been loving this. Oh, looking yeah. forward to it. As for my final thoughts on the Snyder Cut, I think it's truly astonishing that something like this was able to happen and exist and that everyone can watch it at home if they have an HBO Max subscription. It's truly, truly wonderful. Huge improvement from the theatrical version. You do feel every single second of that four hour runtime, but it was necessary. It was totally necessary. Any more or less would have been a huge disservice to it. Uh, I thought the cinematography was outstanding. The characters are incredible. I love the scoring and the sound design. All around, it was just a great experience. My complaints with it are more nitpicks than anything. I'd honestly love to see more. And uh, yeah, uh, my name is Davis Badol, also known as Titan Goji. Uh, I have a YouTube channel that's also called uh, Titan Goji. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I also have a tea public and Patreon if you wish to support me through there as well. So, um, yeah, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Check it out. So I'll kind of like give my uh, closing thoughts here on the Justice League. First and foremost, I give it a solid 9.5 out of 10. I think this was Zack Snyder's best movie. I feel like this was like the Watchmen, but with Batman, Superman, and all of them. That's what it felt like to me. That like it was an epic storytelling that's attention to detail what keeps it for me from giving us a perfect rating we got everybody's stories fleshed out i kind of wish they incorporated barry's origin of how he got his powers everybody did get their time to shine i just in flash's character was fleshed out more his character but we didn't see his origin i feel like that was a missed opportunity and then if you want to go there some of the special effects even though it's far better there were a couple uh, spotty shots here and there uh, yeah. I think maybe with more time and more money, they could have approved upon it. But I'm not going to blame anybody because I know Zach was given a small budget. He did it for free by himself in quarantine. So I'll give that a pass. But if, if there's anything that kept this movie from being perfect, Flash's origins and maybe better some better special effects shots. Right on. Right on. And I'll go ahead and give my, my final yeah. take here. Um, nitpicks aside, I think that this is a triumph not only for fans of Zack Snyder, everybody who was part of the release, the Snyder Cut campaign. It's also a triumph for all of us fans of nerd culture, of comic book culture, of comic book movies. This is going to do wonders to push the genre forward in ways that I don't think that we have anticipated under other circumstances. And so for that, I really have to give kudos to Zack and Deborah Snyder, to HBO Max, to the cast, to everybody who actually came back to actually make this second version of Justice League and to do justice to it, pun intended. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this is absolutely worth a watch. I would give it a solid eight. Definitely not a perfect score, but as I said before, this is a movie where if you are a fan of Snyder, you're gonna love it. If you're not a fan, you'll probably still like it, but not love it. But either way, it's definitely worth your time to check out. And before we go, Mark, I just want you, because like I said, you, you, you've, you've worked in TV and you've been in films and this, this and that. 
uh, and you you always have your finger on the pulse of everything that's going on, and you, you always put out the facts. So, Mark, before we go, I just want to ask you this: the movie's out. They left some doors open. We already know the story of what's going to happen with Snyder's, you know, working on other projects. But in your heart of hearts, Mark, what do you think is going to happen moving forward post Snyder cut and everything? Well, you know, I'm not a like an expert analyst or, you know, I'm not a person who can tell the future or anything like that. But as my hero, John Campia always says, winning cures everything. So we know that here this weekend, this has been a tremendous hit already. And it's going to continue to do better and better and better as time goes on. People watch it, rewatch it. It's a huge boom for HBO Max. And I don't see them not wanting more. And so even though Snyder has now moved on and he's developing a Netflix universe for the Army of the Dead, um, I think it's entirely possible that they reach back out to him and ask him to sort of come back and flesh out these stories more. It would serve greatly to us fans of these characters. You know, hopefully that turns out to be a reality for us. I hope other studios are watching this. I hope this is gonna be like a hard lesson learned like let the director direct let him do his thing don't studio shouldn't interfere right. and you know i think justice league from 2017 you know it's a hard lesson learned and now film schools are going to like compare the two movies i think this is going to be like a topic in film school i think this is going to be something that everyone's going to point to well look what happens when you let the director direct and do his thing and look what happens when a studio interferes like whether we get more of this universe or not i think moving forward every studio every director they're all gonna be looking at this like look what we should do and look what we should not do so right right davis thank you very much to Pete, thank you very much for coming in as well this has been a lot more fun Honestly, I feel like we could have done more. Absolutely. <laughs> I feel like of all the topics we got through, I got through the ones I wanted to get into, and it was really, really fun chopping it up, man. And just like, whew, what a wild ride it's been. I mean, think about where we were in back in 2017 and where we are now, now that it's out. You know, we'll see what happens moving forward. Again, just want to reiterate, watch party on the 27th of March. Hope everyone can be there. So that being said, before we go, we ask you to pre please like comment, subscribe, ring that bell, spread it like Sofus or USA from Albany to Dallas to Syracuse to Louisville to all of our friends and fans around the world at Nerd Cage Live. Enjoy life, stay safe, and restore the Snyderverse. Sayonara. Take it easy, y'all. Ooh, trying to get out of the Nerd Cage, are ya? Well, before you go, hit that subscribe button. And if you're really intrigued, ring that bell. Thank you for dropping by. Until next time, tell everyone you know about Nerd Cage Live! <laughs>